Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Power blackouts. They happen every year. But guess what, blackouts? You've met your match. Goal Zero is the leader in affordable generators and home backup systems. They offer a simple, easy solution for when power blackouts hit so you can keep your home up and running using clean energy. Their systems power critical circuits in your home, which are terrible if they go out like your freezer, lights, Wi-Fi, TV, and more with clean power. No fuel, no fumes, no noise, no maintenance, unlike gas generators. Not to mention, Goal Zero is portable, so you can take your power on the go as needed for camping, tailgating, and more. And they offer a range of products and affordable price points to meet your needs, from power stations that can provide a half day's worth of power to solar generators and home backup systems that you can power for one, two, or three days. You can easily monitor and manage your power right from your phone with the Goal Zero app, and they offer best-in-class service with a U.S.-based service team that provides the highest level of technical and customer support. So make sure your power stays on with Goal Zero. Learn more at GoalZero.com. Check out their affordable power stations, solar generators, and home backup systems today. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Dishing with Digest. I'm Stephanie Sloan, Editorial Director, here with Mara Levinsky, Senior Editor. Hi, everyone. Well, Mara, breaking news from Young and the Restless. Uh, all my children fan favorite, Eva LaRue, has been hired to play Ray and Lola's mother and will first air at the end of June. I mean, I am so excited about this casting. Eva is great. And, you know, we really haven't seen her on soaps in years, and I think it's going to be an amazing fit. One of the things that I really love about Eva is that she really loves soaps. You know, she is one of those people who grew up watching them with her family and who has really maintained the close personal ties that she forged during her All My Children days. She kept watching the show after she wasn't on it anymore. She still mourns it. I (laughs) I just talked to her in December. Um, And she has always been such a friend to this magazine. So cooperative and available. Mm -hmm. And she's just such a cool person. And I think we're going to be so lucky to have her back in the fold. Oh, I totally agree. And she looks fantastic. I mean, she has stopped time. So they are going to have to sell us a little on the idea that she could be Jordi Villasuso's <laughs> mother. True, true. Um, but I'm sure they will make it work, and I'm really looking forward to seeing what she does with the role. Um, now, speaking of YNR, our cover story this week is with none other than Eric Braden, who, of course, plays Victor Newman. And you spoke to him in his dressing room in Los Angeles, Mara. Um, what can you tell us about what went on there? 
Well, first of all, I was a little intimidated, like rolling up to the CBS studio that day uh, because I have never met him in person. You know, we've had some really wonderful phone conversations, um, but it's a little different than like sitting in the dressing room with Victor <laughs> Newman face to face. So fast forward, I don't know, somewhere like maybe two hours later, he's showing me videos of his granddaughter on her horse. And my sister is in the process of of bringing a horse over from Germany. He's reading the horse's German passport, which she texted to me and like translating <laughs> it. Um, my point is, of course, that I had nothing to be worried about. He was absolutely lovely. And uh, in terms of the show, as I think people who follow him on Twitter already know, he has a lot of thoughts about the direction the show took last year and also about where it is now and where it's going. So from his thoughts on the new regime to his thoughts on the new Adam, he did not hold back. And I think it's a very interesting read. Well, I can confirm that it certainly is. <laughs> um, you know, and I will tell you that no matter who I meet who watches Y&R, the first question they ask me is always about Victor Newman. I mean, Eric is legendary. Victor is legendary and has shown no signs of waning in audience popularity, which I think says so much. Mm-hmm. Um, Meanwhile, Mara, Eva LaRue isn't the only All My Children alum popping back up on soaps. That is correct. Rebecca Budig, ex-Greenlee, is going to be reprising the role of Hayden on GH. Now, she left the show in 2017 in a manner in which I certainly think Finn and Hayden fans found to be abrupt. And there has been this, like, big old dangling thread in the form of the baby they were expecting at the time, which Hayden presumably gave birth to. So I'm certainly looking forward to seeing those strands get picked back up. And uh, she'll be hitting Port Charles this summer. I'm really happy that she's heading back. You know, her story did feel unfinished in some ways. And, you know, we're kind of conditioned to seeing things play out over the course of months or even a year. But when someone isn't on the canvas anymore and their story is unfinished, there's something so much more frustrating about it. So I think the timing will be perfect. And I am so curious to see what will happen with Finn and Hayden and really what this means for him and Anna. Definitely. Um, And then, you know, yet another AMC alum, Elizabeth Hendrickson. Uh, She's already on daytime as GH's Margot, but she popped up at the CBS uh, daytime Emmy after party, which prompted some speculation that she could be coming back to YNR as Chloe. And I will say that their spokesperson was pretty cagey in responding about whether or not she'd be back and indicated that Chloe is known for her surprise visits, so we should stay tuned. You know, it makes sense to bring her back with Greg Rickard back on the canvas as Kevin. And actually, our guest today plays his on-screen brother, Michael. It's Christian LeBlanc, who started his career on As the World Turns, but is best known for his Genoa City run. Let's get him on the phone. Hi, Christian. Hey, good morning, guys. Thanks for joining us. Yes, Stephanie and Mara, you're here with Christian. Yes, no, no, I've, I've, you know, I've heard wonderful things. I had to get on this bandwagon. Oh, well, we're so happy you did. Well, we are so excited to talk to you. We are going to take a walk down Christian LeBlanc memory lane. Uh, We're going to start with As the World Turns. So, first of all, tell us, had you auditioned for a soap prior to World Turns where you got your start playing Kirk McCall? You know, I was waiting tables. I was waiting tables at the Helmsley Palace, uh, uh, right behind uh, Radio City Music Hall. I'd been in New York about a year. Uh, I'd gone to go look for a job in a hospital because that was what I had done. And uh, out of college, I was pre- I was medicine pre med, and um, uh, I had gotten. An, someone had found me at the pool at Tulane. Actually, the same photographer who found Don Diamond years after me actually launched him onto his career too. I didn't know that till we were, but both Don and I were on the same show. You know, Don from uh, from uh, Bold and Beautiful now. That's but crazy. With Brad Carlton on a, a Y&R. So 
very bizarre. I mean, and I didn't know years later, Cal Yee was the name of the photographer. And I was, I had been waitlisted um, for school. So everyone else had gone to medical school, but we still swam it. I was a swimmer. I still swam at Tulane, my school in uh, New Orleans. So um, I on a lark to pay for medical school. Someone, like I said, that photographer hooked me up with a little agency in New Orleans at that time, had no sag after nothing. Basement of her house in the uptown area, my agent. Dolly Dean is a great Southern name. Uh, <laughs> but uh, that that uh, kind of took me up to New York on a lark, but still wait, you know, kind of took a leave of absence from the hospital. And uh, I went to go to the hospital and, you know, they talk about New York, but the best, uh, I, I got such help just being new. And the personal director there said, you're an actor now. You need your days. You need your days off. So he sent me to his roommate, who was the director of um, personnel at uh, the Helmsley Palace. Is when Leona Helmsley was still around. and. So I became a busboy. Uh, they wouldn't even let you be. A, I'd never done it before. So I couldn't even be a waiter. And they were like, that's a, that, that was a, that was highbrow. I mean, the money in New York in the 80s. I mean, Frank Sinatra's birthday party. You know, it, it looked like the, it was amazing to watch just the 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 the, the I mean, you're you're in the heart of New York there. And it used to be the Versailles room was amazing. But they gave me the cocktail stuff. No other actors, all young kids from uh, from Spanish Harlem helping their families out. So I was the only actor. So I was taking all the night shifts and I would, uh, you know, I thought I had it made, but uh, I uh, auditioned. I got the little agent and it was my first big gig. And it was the day they asked me to go ahead and be a waiter after a year. And they were, these guys were wonderful. And I got the part and I said, no, oh, uh, I got another job. <laughs> and it was wow. as the world turns. So, I mean, in those days, I had to check from my, my yeah, right? That's I, crazy. You used to get a, di- I mean, it was, a, I don't know what it is now, it was a diamond. I mean, to this day, when they had the Emmys in New York at Radio City Music Hall, we would walk to our after party, uh, Young and the Restless. And I would always point to the locker entrance for the wait at, on the corner. As we walked by, there was my, I would have taken a left turn a few years before to go do my, to be the busboy job. And we walked by it to the big fancy part. So all these women in gowns and t- men in tuxes walking by. And I was there, there, there's my friends. And, you know, whenever my parents came to town to New York, all the busboy and waiter friends would treat them like gold up at the Villard house at the uh, Helmsley, at the hotel. Wow. So, yeah. So that's the long story of that. So it was, it was my first big, I got my SAG card from being, after years of being made fun of during the 80s and 70s, looking like Donny Osmond. There was a Donny Osmond lookalike. HBO back in those days was uh, like a consumer uh, channel. And there was a show called The Consumer Reports Presents, The Smart Shopper Show. And people like Louise Lasser, big comedians, were going in there and doing takeoffs on commercial. So they remember the old, there was an old Hawaiian Punch commercial for Donnie and Marie. And uh, I got that, and that's how I got my SAG card. And that was just a little while before. Um, and that's a big deal for an actor to get the SAG card because you can't work unless you have a card and you can't get a card unless you work. It's very weird, but they couldn't find many Donny Osmond <laughs> lookalike. So and there you the, I got, I got in. So wait, have, have you ever met Donny Osmond? Oh yeah. Yeah. We've talked about it. Uh, I did it I, when he was doing the pyramid and then, uh, Marie, when she had her own show, uh, we talk about it because we have, a, I have eight siblings and a lot of brothers. And uh, when I did Marie's show, that's all we did. I made fun of her. It's like, oh, you're that sister, aren't you? I'm telling Donnie. <laughs> yeah, I've got a great picture finally of me, Donnie, and actually Laura Lee was on the show at, this, at the time, you know, uh, Laura Lee Bell. And uh, yeah, yeah. So it's it's weird 
years later to come full circle and then finally meet him and, and like be able to tell that story. We heard that you got the job at As the World Turns, but tell us what you remember about the actual audition. Oh, you know what? In those days, it was Betty Ray. And I got to tell you, uh, and it's funny, I talked to, we've had other casting directors and, and, and casting directors that are of a certain, you know, it was one of those things that coming from the South, it was, it, she was, she was uh, an older woman, but like the idea you think of classy New York, you know, tailored. I mean, she went to work looking like someone out of one of those fifties magazines with those sleek suits. And I mean, it was just, I, I, as a, you know, I, I'm still looking at the tall buildings at that point still, you know, and pointing out Broadway and taking those goofy pictures where, you know, with your, with your disposable camera, by the way. Um, and, uh, she was such an amazing, and she's a legend. She won a lifetime achievement at one of the Emmy awards, a uh, legend in the industry casting wise. Um, and she was such an amazing actress. And the scene was me, Kirk, in jail, and my father just railing at me. And he, she had to play my father, this, this, this beautiful ladylike woman. Uh, and she parted my hair. I mean, she railed. And that made the audition. She was such a good actor um, and such a, 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 a lover of actors and, and, and that profession. I mean, she... And that made the entire difference because, I mean, all I, you know, at that point I had chutzpah. I didn't, I was medicine in college. I had sung, but I didn't, I had no, no inclination of being an actor at all. I, I had wanted to work, be a, a doctor. I had volunteered at hospitals and done any job I could get at hospitals since grammar school. I knew that's what I wanted. Um, and so it, it was interesting. She, we went in there and Robert Horton from Wagon Train was with McCall at that time because, uh, Eileen Fulton had married everybody on the show, so they imported Robert. But <laughs> Betsy von Furstenberg was taking Eileen's place for a while. Eileen had gone off to do projects. And so it was Betsy von Furstenberg, and they disliked each other, I remember. So my first day on the show, I'm walking by, and on the monitors, I'm seeing this knockdown, drag-out fight. And I'm like, what? <laughs> What's wow, this show? That's intense. It wasn't. It was not. Yeah, I know. Let's tune in. It was not make-believe. <laughs> um, and it was, I was like, okay. And they're trying to get me by the monitors as fast as possible on my tour. But we were in a standalone studio way on East 76th street. And, you know, those were my days in New York. It was my salad days where you're kind of just amazing. And then, you know, the, there's Marissa Tomei comes in as my, uh, girlfriend's girlfriend. Terry Vandenbosch was Franny at the time. Julianne Moore came in to be Franny after Terry. Um, um, uh, Margaret Collin, Justin Dees were legends on that show. Um, uh, it was just amazing. And then Meg Ryan, they, they, these were all people starting out. And these are the people who kind even though they were just new, I was very new. And this is how I learned my acting from people like Margaret Collin, who were professionals way back, you know, and big in daytime legends, even then Justin Dees too. And, um, I mean, just, it, it was amazing. And then you had Larry Brigman. Uh, doing, you know, getting his Tony at night on stage on Broadway and then coming to win his daytime Emmy on uh, As the World Turns. It was a really, really, um, just to talk about falling up. And uh, it was two years and I had said, I'm going to go to LA to seek my fortune. And, and they they wanted me to stay, which is always a nice thing. And the speech I gave the producers, they wrote like pretty much my, uh, that's what Kirk says to his brother, Mark Pinter at the time. Um uh, so it's it, it just, you know, I see Mark now and I see uh, Colleen Zank, uh, 
we'll probably see her when we get down to Florida. I have a charity I'm doing uh, in, in the next couple of weeks. And, you know, it, it's just yeah, sometimes in this business, if you just white knuckle it long enough, you win. <laughs> Either way, if you stick around, hold on tight, sometimes it even beats out the talent. You know, it's incredible for you to list just all of these actors and, you know, obviously just to know the, some that are still in daytime, ones that went on to do, you know, obviously other projects. Um, but Kirk and Marcy sure. were like a huge couple. I mean, obviously on the cover of Soap Opera Digest, you know, and all the fairy tale stuff that, uh, yeah. you know, we have photos of. What was that time like for you to not only just be part of the show, but now you're like popular and on the show? Well, it was one of those, you know, now I talk to, uh, because they've all been on the show, like Michael Knight was Tad the Cat. Uh, um, it was, I mean, we had everyone come in, um, uh, who was, uh, like all these Michael O'Leary, Alexander, uh, Grant Alexander, all these guys were hunks. And I would talk to them now these days, like Michael was on our show and I go, y'all were such huge hunks. And he says, well, you were too. And I said, no, <laughs> I, that never was my perception, but you know, because these guys were just, um, Vince Arizari, come on. His name, what was it? Lujak. Mm-hmm. Brandon Lujak Luvonicek. L- Lujak, see? And I auditioned for Michael Knight's part of Tad before with uh, uh, Joan Dincheco was the casting director. And I remember I auditioned for Tad. Marcy Walker was in the hallway. And she, I was sitting on the staircase waiting to go in. And she's like, oh, another Tad. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're all there. I just recently found out that Wally Kurth also tried out for for Tad. There are a lot of people who yeah, weren't I mean, meant to be for Tad. It's a huge but, part. Yeah. It was a huge part. And don't Joan Dincheco did uh, me the great kindness of, you know, she told me in that room, if you don't get this, you will get something else. Do not worry. And I booked uh, Kirk the next week. But she said that. And, and I didn't get it. And Michael got it as it should be. And I mean, so that's the kind of situation it was. And then you, uh, I mean, I remember um, Marissa uh, Tomei coming in and I, there was one scene, I walk up in a chicken suit. I mean, we were all up to anything in those days because I was playing teens. I was playing 18, I remember. And I had already, you know, I already had a college for a bit. And uh, I was in chicken suit and Marcy, Marissa has, has to react. And she laughed. And I remembered this to this day. Uh, they yelled cut and you know, they did the scene. I said, oh, my God, you, you were really laughing. And she goes, yeah. And it was just that simple thing of what acting is. Oh, sure. Um, okay, so obviously you moved to L.A. Um, and tell us about doing In the Heat of the Night in 1988. Oh, my God, Carol O'Connor. And, you know, it was shot initially in Hammond, Louisiana, which is that's my stomping grounds. Yeah, wow. Carol and all of them came down from Mardi Gras and came to my house and my my little brothers, you know, I have uh, you know, seven brothers and sisters. They were all over the set. That's just like, you know, like I said 40 45 minutes out of town. And um it was awesome. You uh, it is a whole different like uh prime time. Uh especially when you know, and I got billing uh, you know, uh, you know, co-star billing with uh Emory Johnson and it was Howard Rollins in those days and Carol O'Connor. I mean, that's Archie Bunker, which when you're on location and you're out in those woods, you know, uh, that's all the people watching in, on the street are yelling, Archie, Archie, Archie. It's so funny to have such a seminal character. And you forget that, you know, Carol O'Connor was a Shakespearean actor. I mean, he he goes back for, you know, he was not an overnight uh, sensation. This man had, you know, was actually middle-aged when he got that part. So 
It's Carol O'Connor. It's like a force of nature. His son, Hugh, was in it. We were staying at what they called the Holly Dome. It was a very small town, Hammond, uh, which had a pool. And that poor man would come, you know, because that's one of those ones where all the rooms face the big courtyard or the pool. It was like, uh, we'd walk out and there would be the cast in the pool. Maybe we had clothes on. Maybe we didn't. <laughs> it was just... That poor man had to had to you know in the, the second season he was like I'm I, 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 cracking the whip, but um it it was uh, it was just one of those times uh, again magical you're sitting there working with Howard Rollins and Carol O'Connor and and, and uh, what's his name from Blowout uh, was the director um, do you know what I'm talking about uh, British British just legend so I mean you know all these people. Uh, from from babyhood, you know their names at least. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was Carol O'Connor, and and, and uh, he was such an interesting man. Uh, Hugh, he 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 really wanted to work with his son, and it was very clear that's why one of the main reasons he had done the series and stuff like that. So I mean, it was it was uh, it was you know I just watched. It's one of those sets, and Howard and I got very close. So Howard, you know, Howard had. You know, Howard had his demons at that time. You know, he had lost a father and stuff like that. And, and um, it, was, it was just an experience to see people in the business who'd been there for a long, long time. And kind of sometimes what, what the price you pay for doing what you're passionate about and what you have to be obsessed with. Because if you're not obsessed, there's absolutely no point in doing it. You'll never, you know, you'll never, you know, stay sane through it. But, you know, you got to go a little crazy. And then Anne-Marie Johnson and I were, here's my partner in crime. You know, and then all the guests stopped. You know, Mariska Haggerty, all uh, Doug Savant uh, from Melrose. Play, uh, all these people came through as guest stars. So you just had like I had playmates just you know, cycling through, and people I met later on in New York. I mean, in L.A. So it was pretty amazing. But it only lasted. I did the I did the the, the movie, and then the first year, the first season, and then uh, then they they switched me out. So uh, I could have been in coming to Georgia for nine more years, but. They sent me, uh, I went back to LA and, uh, I guess it wasn't, I must've done a few more things. And th- then Y&R came up, I think not too long after that. Uh, and that was just Ed Scott and Bill Bell in a room, no screen test, no nothing. It was really interesting. And I thought I'd never memorize like I used to memorize on that. I thought that's my youth. That's your twenties. Can't do that. Nope. And, and I lo- soon learned that it's, that's everybody who's ever left daytime and come back to daytime. Uh-huh. It's like, that is such a muscle that has to be exercised again, that volume of work. But, um, I learned a lot. I learned a lot from Carol and them, you know, for just life lessons. Uh, it's very interesting. So when you got the role of Michael, how did you feel about coming back to daytime? You know, they were talking about that, you know, do you know why not? And, you know, enough years had passed that I'd not, watched Weinar, but because I was always asked for those first interviews, I was like, oh, but I would tell you just as one other, Adam, you said when I booked Marcy, you were right about the Marcy Kirk thing. One of the little tells that I figured out about being, so just to go back to that one, was we were in Binghamton, New York. Mm-hmm. We're leaving a mall and in a limo, in a limo, I'm, you know, now you're not in a car in New York City a lot, and that's where we shot, but I'm looking out the rear window and women girls are chasing it out of the mall, out of the parking lot, onto the road. And I remember looking at them like this was some kind of, like going back to the science part, experiment. Like, why? What could possess anyone to chase a car? <laughs> I mean, I was just looking at them and like, 
why would you chase on foot? What, what did you possibly hope? To, you know, it was just it was just so not part of what my mindset was. It was like watching something happening in a movie and not your own life. But yeah, in those days, you're hitting 25 million, even when you're four or five, number, fifth show right. in daytime in those days. So, I mean, I remember security, we being knocked down, and I was Tracy Collis was doing an appearance with me, and, and they broke through the barrier, and I had to be dragged away. And Tracy happened to have given me the sweater they were dragging me by, so she's fighting the girls off herself because <laughs> it's a sweater that she bought. But, but, I mean, those, those are the things you dealt with back in the days. Yeah. Yeah, but she wouldn't have it. She was from Brooklyn. No, she would, she'll take an arm off. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, coming back to, to YNR and then coming back to daytime, it was wonderful. I mean, it was an audition and, I, and it, it was actually the first bad guy role. You kind of, kind of quote unquote, they put that in there. And it was, I, I knew that this was, even though I signed a contract, it, when I found out that you're going to sexually harass the ingenue and that the ingenue just happens to be Bill Bell's daughter, Laura <laughs> Lee. Like, oh, oh, well, <laughs> well, yeah, well, well, you know, save your money. <laughs> so it'll be, it'll be fun. But I really was entranced with the fact of being a bad guy. And I think a part of that enjoying, like I said, quote unquote, bad guy is going in there and just, I think what made the character, I think, stand out for Bill. And I remember him talking to me about it. And uh, I just, just took it and ran with it. I remember, I mean, and they let me do stuff. Uh, uh, Hannibal Lecter was out at the time. I actually sniffed Laura Lee at one point. And I didn't make that sound he makes about the fava beans. But I did <laughs> sniff her as she went by. Um, and I did kind of touch her, like, like secretly. You know, it was just such good stuff. And um, and I really, it, it was it was everything. It was uh, like, uh, I, I've always liked uh, the fact that they made him a lawyer and made him smart. It was such an amazing character Jesus thrown into your lap. And, and it was done without, like I said, usually the thing was, uh, there was a screen test and everything else I had done for people when I was on as the world turns, you know, and you're like, well, there's a process where, you know, Procter and Gamble and CBS, and there's a bunch of people have to see you. And this was Bill. And in those days, that's kind of what it was. Uh, uh, CBS and Sony let Bill, he was, he had, was bringing in so much money that his word was law. So it was just him and a nod. And uh, I remember the audition. I, I don't know if I remember what the subject matter was. It was probably a lot of dialogue, um, but it was for them. I didn't read with anyone, any of the actors. And so, uh, and the only reason I got to tell you, the only reason to become that person who becomes a sexual harasser and there's violence entailed in it. If Laura Lee Bell had not been, it was new enough to me that if the woman in that kind of role had shown any discomfort at all, that would have wrecked me because I mean, I have sisters and, uh, and it went far, you know, it's, it's sexual harassment and I had never played that kind of violence. And, and it's, it's still a show with you know, you're not, you're not, you know, you don't, nobody's at risk for physical violence, but you still have to play it. And I'm telling you, Laura Lee was game, whatever happened. I remember at one point, I've got a gun to her head. And I think one of us moved or the thing was jolted that we were laying on. And it knocked her in the scene, kind of knocked her a little in the forehead. And I saw, you know, <laughs> uh -oh. maybe her eyes, eyes crossed for a second and uncrossed. And she never missed a beat. She never missed a beat. And those guns, those prop guns are heavy. You know, and it's all very close and intense. And I'm like hissing at her almost. But 
She's a pro. Oh, yeah, totally. A pro. And you wouldn't know that this is the boss's daughter. You'd, you'd never, and you, you've met and talked to Laura Lee. You'd know, you would never in a million years guess that there was anything but a dedicated actress there doing the, the being a professional, top of her game, well-behaved, everyone wants to work with Laura Lee Bell. Do you know what I mean? And, the, and it was never like, wait, who's your, who's your, who's your dad? What? There was, it's not, she doesn't lead with it and it doesn't follow her into a room. She was, even at that time, she stood on her own two feet as far as I'm, I'll be judged by my work, you know, and, and, and one of the people who really, and, and I pride myself on, and I'm one of those people too, it says like, has worked really hard to get better. You know, she's not resting on any laurels. I mean, that is a woman who goes out there and makes things happen. Um, and I, again, I, 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 I tell, I've told her this and I've said it in, and I've said that in interviews forever. If, if, like I said, if she had not been professional, she was she's so Younger than a young woman, very young woman at that time, to deal with that kind of stuff. But again, Bill had thrown everything at that character. Poor Cricket had been attacked, maligned, you know, attempted everything. Uh, in fact, somebody actually did. There was a rape storyline later on, and they confuse us. And I always have to yell out, attempted, as off-color as all this conversation sounds. I don't want to be confused with the guy who got killed by getting thrown out a window. Or by Corbett, who was in a trash masher with murder <laughs> kind of carved in his forehead. <laughs> Neither of those people were me. <laughs> Correct. God bless. Right. So, yeah, uh, Michael Corbett, trash masher, feet dangling, and that's how he died. And they're like, you were the one. And I'm like, no, not me. You're like, nope, not me. Well, you mentioned that you thought your run was going to come to an end, and indeed it did in 1993. Yeah. Um, what were your feelings about that? Thank you for asking that. Uh, I was the most loved uh, fired actor ever. And the same thing with In the Heat of the Night. All the people called, Carol called, but, you know, they wanted to change the character. And actually you, Carol's son, had, you know, wanted to expand the part. Um, so, yeah, I, I had had an experience of being, God, I cannot be more talented and unemployed, you know. So <laughs> both Bill and Lee at the end were saying, and they kept me around for the full two years. And a lot of that was like, I kept the beard from being in prison and they were, I think, trying to figure out a way. But Bill sat me down and explained, you are so good at this that the, the fans will not buy you not being punished in, in some way. And he said, but I will call you. And I was like, you know, you, that, that's lovely because there, there are all sorts of ways to be let go. And that, that's a great one. There are some bad ones. And I was like, okay, you know, but I was going to wait by the phone. But... Uh, both he and Lee could not have praised me more out the door. And I, I still have really good friends, Jennifer Johns, head of wardrobe. And so I, I went back to set every every now and then. And every day. People, you know, <laughs> said hello. Yeah, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> but, no, but it was like you did. I, I just made a point of like, these are still my friends because you could really not go. It could kill you. But the life of an actor is not that. If you if you really want to last, you know, it's, it's then you lose all your friends every show you go. And if you can make a, you know, two great friends in, in, in your work, that's a lot. You have two great friends in life, that's a lot. Um, but I, I went out there, and, and because I still had that scholastic kind of thing in my head, I was like, I think the oath in my head was like, you know, it wasn't quite, I'll never be hungry again as God is my witness. <laughs> but it was just as like, I will go out there and become so good that they will go past the L's next time, and they will fire someone in the M. So uh, I asked all around, uh, who's the best actor? I went downtown to the taper, to all the big theaters, and 
the a name that kept popping up was Charles Nelson Riley. And I went, Charles Nelson Riley, Lidsville, Charles Nelson Riley. Are we kidding here? You know, uh, HR puffin stuff, maybe what? Um, and he was an amazing teacher. And I, and through Charles Nelson Riley, if you remember who he was, like, especially for match game, but you forget that he did the original, um, uh, he did the original hello Dolly with Eileen Brennan. Uh, you know, uh, it was, you know, this is history, but the most naturally funny man I'd ever met, but a genius teacher. And through him, I met everyone. Like, uh, I mean, the card, you'd sit at a dinner table. Some of the students would come with them up to, you know, this place up in Beverly Glen, uh, over Bel Air. And then the, the celebrities that would walk past his table and just, it was a little hole in the wall that people, I guess, liked people who were famous, loved to hide out in. And I would just sit there and watch everyone, Bob Newhart, sit down and talk. Adam DeLuise, uh, Burt Reynolds was his friend. And I got to know all these people, Alice Ghostly. And then finally, Julie Harris, who the most, and, you know, Tony nominated woman ever. And uh, eventually, Julie came to me one day. We had gotten to know each other really well. And she said, good morning, Mr. Feather. And we were sitting down at breakfast. And I was like, oh, she's rounded the bend. Who's that? And it was the lead in the play she was planning to do. So they did a revival of, um, um, oh gosh, a revival of, it was there, it was the British uh, Arsenic and Ole Lace. Um, and it was going to be Laura Esterman, who's just been a hit on Broadway, Eileen Brennan, Carol Cook, Julie Harris, um, and me, and one of the other ladies from our class. And Charles Nelson and Riley directing, and we were starting in the Coconut Grove, and she and she gave me billing with her, starring, 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 um, and I sat the program, and, it, and and I went from doing tiny, tiny little theaters on Melrose and Santa Monica to a two thousand seat house in Coconut Grove, and getting ready to go to Broadway, and I owe all that to being let go from the Young and the Restless, because <laughs> Eileen Brennan. Eileen Brennan was ad-libbing stuff to me upstage. It was like a Victorian piece. It was a Victorian period piece. It was, I was the only man. I was the one who figures out the killer. And Julie Harris is trying to kill me. Uh, I have a cockney act. It's just everything that you could wish for. I mean, there were three three acts, too, which no one was doing. And it was amazing. And Bill Bell, in the middle of all this, calls. And I get to say no which is always good for your heart <laughs> as much as you hate to do it. I was going to Broadway and this is, we were, that was our hope, but then we didn't go and, you know, and, and we closed in, in the coconut grove and uh, Julie's like, look, more years than you've been alive. Have I been told that I'm not getting the place not going? So, you know, something will happen. <laughs> Bill Bell called again and I was like, yes. <laughs> and that was 96. And that's when Michael came back, but thank goodness. Well, that leads into our next little section here. So you mentioned Laura Lee. Let's talk about some of the other wonderful ladies you have worked with in Genoa City, um, starting with Michelle Stafford, who is returning mm-hmm. back. Tell us about your relationship with her. Well, we're we're good friends. I mean, we've, we've been close since she came on for years. Uh, because if you remember, I came on, Michelle went off to do Pacific Palisades. Um, so I was told, and Sandra Nelson played Michelle when I first came on the show. She played the character of Phyllis, who was wonderful. 
But I kept hearing from uh, a good friend, Greg York was the head of wardrobe, and from everybody, uh, Jennifer Johns was the assistant, all these people were saying, oh, you would love Michelle Stafford. Oh, she was. She would love to work with you. You will have just a great, great, great time. So there was some expectation. And then it switched around, and Michelle came back, and Sandra, and, and Sandra was amazing. Because Michelle, you know, Sandra had to play like kidnapping Michael. We were lovers. Um locking me in the trunk of a car and I keep every time I see Michelle I, I play all that history and she's like I did not lock you in a car I said sorry <laughs> done and done I'm playing it so I used to ad lib every now and then when, when Phyllis got really cranky I'd go yeah you're my I'm your best friend who you locked in the trunk of a car just let's let's get this straight so it'll be interesting um so and and I it's just one of those occasions that um and and everyone has has someone I hope like that where she makes me a better actor. All right. Tell us what you remember about working with Eva Longoria. You know, she was one of those people who came in and just always a smile, this ball of energy. Uh, it was kind of her first big job. She was a businesswoman, a headhunter, corporate headhunter before that, I believe. And, and was a really neat and inspiring to be around because there was never anything about any shame, which there should never be about. This is who I am. I, I'm not great yet. I'm not, I don't know about this profession, what I want to know, teach me, or I'm not afraid to ask questions and not to go out there. And again, it's all that thing about, you know, I think if you're doing this career right and you're doing this life right, you're not finished. And if you're not curious, then you're dead in the water about what's out there and what you can do to, 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 you know, you're chasing a holy grail. You'll never forget there. It's always the process. But she was one of those people who was always and and we would goof around. I mean, my, my God, I walked into a photo shoot early and she was having her stuff. And we, we used to both do the covers of romance novels. So we did these fake poses that were never supposed to see the light of day. And now, of course, like everything on the when I'm just this crazy person next to her, like ripping my shirt open, you know, doing this fan in our hair stuff. We We just like camped it up. For some photos, we were just goofing around between shoots, and, and they're the ones everyone sees. But <laughs> oh, she was she was amazing, but enthusiastic, and, and I still hear her. You know, I still, still every now and then you get an arbitrary call and down to have dinner. And Tracy, Tracy and I, uh, you know, the, Tracy Bregman. So yeah, she never forgets anybody. And I tell you, and from us down to the reporters on the on the red carpet. When she sees people that she knows from the soap days, it's a big, hi, how are you, pat on the back and a big hug. And she's never changed that. And, and I really, really appreciate that about her. And I appreciate that about anybody. Mm-hmm. Well, Christian, you've already mentioned Tracy, but tell us about your long-term dynamic with her. I don't know. You know what? I think, again, I tell, I tell that line about uh, what Fred Astaire said about Ginger. She does it all. She does everything I do, but backwards and high heels. Um <laughs> And I got to say, they are high. She made fun of me just this week because she was in flats again. She came in in like flip-flops. And I said, oh, my God, you're so spry. What are you doing? Like you, You're like a basketball player. Because I'm so used to helping her down long steps in a <laughs> gown and like 90-inch heel. I have no idea how women do it. I have no idea how Tracy does it because she's like three feet tall. And then without her shoes on, and I'm like, well, look at you, you little scrappy thing. Little tiny thing, <laughs> and I get the biggest kick because she moves differently. It's all you know. She she is not Lauren, and you know, it's one of the, uh, Tracy amazes me because I was in college still, and she was a baby. This is how long she's been in the business, 
And I remember seeing her on television and to know that that and not knowing. And here I am in medicine at Tulane, not knowing that would be my show wife for like, what, 10 years. We must be the most married, a long time married couple in daytime at this point. You're definitely up there. Well, the Baldwin family has become such a fan favorite, and now Greg Rickard is back, and uh, it looks like this new regime is really invested in bringing this family back to the fore. You know, how do you feel about that? Oh, it's wonderful. I just, I mean, it's, it's so interesting you ask, because this, just yesterday, we did tons. It was Greg and I, and the reaction on set and from the people, and they are just nailing the voices of Michael and Kevin. Do you know what I mean? Because you, you can, every now and then a, a viewer will watch and they're the ones who will judge and you'll see, well, well, well you know, and, and you'll get lines like, oh, okay. And some of it stretches your character because you're getting stuff. But the, these scenes are so seminal, Kevin and Michael. And then and, and those storylines have wandered as they will to, to Kevin's life with Chloe and, and other things. But it was so much fun and such a sense of ease. But, but a real feeling of like, wow. This is, I mean, you know, Greg is an amazing actor, and we were in two separate storylines. He was a online stalker who, who, who gave Crystal chlamydia, uh, you know, uh, Lily, uh, and I was uh, somebody trying to get salvation as a lawyer who had uh, been convicted of uh, sexual harassment. And then all of a sudden, the, the story goes, Age Smith's daughter said we looked alike. I mean, we'd never even met on set. And then they have Greg just walk into my office one day, Michael's office. Kevin walks in and goes, hello, brother. That's it. And it was a wonderful scene. And, and since then, uh, yeah, we were the, I think we were the first two brothers to win Emmys together. And it was because of a storyline. I think it was his first year. Uh, Kevin being beaten and, uh, and, and saving him. And Joan Van Ort came in as the mother during all that. But, uh, it's only be, it, it, you just do hit goals sometime. And there are people that you, like I explained with Michelle, that you, you know, it is very interesting to make a family on a show. It doesn't always have to work out that you, that you like the people or that you even, that you melt. But I tell you when Gloria and Kevin and, and, and Lauren and Michael are in the same room, it's seamless. We have such a ball, but like, again, it, it, it like you said, it's it, it just yesterday. And I could cry thinking about it. It was such a, it's such a, it was so challenging in so many ways. The writing was so difficult and Greg and I were in the trenches. I'm telling you, you're, I think they're going to love it. But those writers and the directors, we had all the help we needed, the directors, and everyone was just kind of excited to see him again. And, uh, and I hope it shows on screen. I, I, I certainly, we, we put some blood and sweat in there and, you know, working with, we're all working together. So because it's, it's not only the old people. You have Mark Grossman coming in as the new Adam, which is the degree of difficulty is horrible because you're coming in replacing two popular people. You know, it just, it, it, and, and yet we're in that family. You come in and your family right away. Cause you have to, because it goes back to what we talked about with Tracy. You have to have their back. You have to have each other's back. It's way too fast and too difficult, and life's too short. And so is the time you have on set to to not to not love the other person to death in the scene, and do what they need and help them as they'll help you. Mm -hmm. And you have that on YNR. Absolutely. I mean, there's definitely a lot of exciting stuff happening, um, and we want to thank you so much for joining us today. Um, and we look forward to talking to you again. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you guys so much. It was a pleasure. Uh, I made me think of some things. My God.
right? It's been a while for us. <laughs> well, it's fun to hear your stories. <laughs> totally. Have a great day, Christian. We'll talk soon. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you to Christian LeBlanc for being our guest. If you like this podcast, be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Please pick up a new issue on sale now and come back next week for another podcast.